You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, as we dive into uh, God's Word this morning, as we continue to worship through this time of um, reading of the Word, the preaching of the Word, and ultimately response to the Word. I'm thankful this morning that God has not left us without instruction, uh, without some measure of hearing His voice from His Word. And by God's grace and His Spirit applying this Word, we hear Him this morning. And, And so this is an act of worship And as we look at the early church in the book of Acts, we are reminded of who we're to be as God's people, looking at some foundational things and rediscovering really what our mission is as the church, not necessarily specifics to what that mission looks like lived out for us as Southwide Baptist Church, but more generally these universal characteristics of the church and how we're to look. And of course, you could go back to the book of Acts and you could say, well, there were many things that were undeveloped as far as the organization that we call the church today. And that would certainly be true. But there are some foundational things that must be a part of our lives as we live them together as the church. And we've already seen four of those things. Let me just, by way of reminder, remind you of those things. One, that we are to depend upon his spirit. We cannot do anything in our lives as the church without dependence, complete dependence upon God's spirit in our lives every single day. We need him to lead us. We need him to comfort us. We need him to bring conviction of our sin. And certainly we need him to be able to proclaim the gospel that we've been given to the nations in order that they might be saved. Everything that we do as a church depends upon God's spirit. Then we saw Jesus as our message. We do not have multiple messages as a church. We have one message, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that gospel flows every other part of our lives. We learn to be who we are. We're saved and then we're changed into the image of Jesus through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we looked at biblical community. And it was our first time gathering together again in this place as God's people. And a reminder to us of how much we need biblical community. And how God has established that as being a a hallmark of his church. And then finally last week we looked at this ministry of healing that that God has called us to. He's called us to to be a place where as people are, are coming to faith in Jesus Christ where they come to this place and they experience healing in Jesus' name as their lives are changed for the sake of the gospel. 
So we come to a fifth characteristic of the characteristic of the church this morning. And rather than saying to you what it is, I want you to see it clearly from God's word first this morning. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And as every week, we encourage you online to gather around God's word in your living room uh, or with your family or maybe by campground, wherever you're at uh, today on this Memorial Day weekend. And let's read God's word together. Acts chapter four will begin in verse one, and we're going to read a lengthy passage this morning. So if you need to be seated at any point, please do please feel to uh, feel free to do so. Acts chapter four, beginning in verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, speaking of Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus The resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about five thousand. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. And all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Let me read that again. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, Common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them is is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, but we but what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For 
for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that what we read here in this passage would be more than a story that happened 2000 years ago. But God, would you come right now in this place and online among hearts that are saved? And would you stir us to a deep boldness for the gospel? A boldness that is unrelenting, that is unwilling to give in, that will not quit, that will not be silenced. A boldness that will rise up and speak on behalf of Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we pray, God, that your spirit would take that word, would take that truth and would shout it from the rooftops to the ends of the earth so that Jesus is glorified. The lost are saved and your church is edified for the sake of your glory and your honor. God, we pray that you would stir us fresh and new today. Lord, we, we desire as you desire that all men would be saved. And so we, we ask God that you would work in hearts that are gathered online or hearts in this room who do not know Christ, that you would call them to salvation today and that they would be saved through the conviction of your spirit and the preaching of your word. God, so that you are honored and so that we, your people, Worship you as you rightly deserve. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, transition from last week. If you were with us last week, you know this story. The story is, of course, Peter and John as they've come to the temple to pray. And there was that beggar and they proclaimed this beggar to rise and walk. They gave him healing in Jesus name. And the end of the story is that the beggar runs into the temple courts, leaping for joy and praising the Lord. And everyone there in the temple courts takes notice. The first part of chapter four tells us that actually five thousand people were saved that day as a result of this man's testimony and the preaching of the word. This was an incredible, incredible day in the life of the early church. I mean, they had just seen three thousand come to faith in Jesus. And if that were not enough, they're experiencing an incredible move of God in one city. 
8,000 people, probably plus by now, because more were added to the church daily as they were being saved. 8,000 people now, their lives changed for the glory of God. Jerusalem was shaken. But these people who believed were not the only ones who took notice. The ones who took notice were the ones who were leading in the temple, the religious people of the day. In fact, this passage in chapter four begins to tell us that the priests and the captain of the temple became angry. Why is it that they were angry at these men? Because they were disturbing the temple. Because they were disturbing the status quo. You see, up until this point in Acts, there was no resistance to the early church. Absolutely none. The early church was a loved people. They were coming to faith in Christ and they were ministering and serving people around them. And there was no resistance, at least not at the at the at the obvious point. There was no resistance to the early church. But things changed. The Sadducees, which would have been the the priests and the captain of the temple guard, this group of people, along with others who are part of the Sadducees. They were one of three sects of Jews in the early uh, New Testament time. As far as Judaism was concerned, they were the more conservative group of the three. There were some issues with their theology. Of course, we know that the, the, the uh, Sadducees rejected uh, the, the Pharisees' teachings of the day, the oral tradition that was being handed down by the Pharisees. But they had issues themselves, even though they ascribed to the Torah and the Pentateuch, even though they believed those things, they had no concept of demons, no concept of angels. They rejected immortality and resurrection, any concept of the afterlife. And so when Peter and John come into the temple courts and they begin to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, these people are upset for them. It was more than just a theological issue. It actually was a political issue. Because as they proclaim this Messiah, the Jesus who rose from the dead, it is a threat to their power. They understood what the Messianic reign meant. That David's throne was going to be recovered and they were no longer to be in their position of power. You see, they had an agreement with the Roman government in the day. They had this political alliance where as long as they upheld Rome, Rome would uphold them and they could remain in power there in Jerusalem. So when Peter and John come preaching the gospel, listen to the greatest threat in their hearts. The greatest threat in their hearts was political overtake. Political power. What they had would be gone. So what did they do? The only thing you could do, they arrested these two men. You've got to silence the opposition. And so they arrested them twice. In fact, if we continued reading, we'll see again in chapter five that they arrested these men for the second time. The first was just a preliminary hearing and they found no reason, no way to keep them. The second time they tried again. But in this preliminary hearing, what is it that they did? They warned them. They gave them a stiff warning. Of course, Peter and John didn't listen to the warning. We'll come back to that in a moment. But the reality is they warned him. What was the warning? We find it here in verses 17 and 18. Look at your Bible with me and you'll see it. Verses 17 and 18. 
But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them. And here's the warning to speak no more to anyone in this name. What name? The name of Jesus. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This was the warning. Not only had Peter and John totally disrupted the temple proceedings of that day, people's focus and attention was on them and clearly not on offerings, so they've lost, clearly lost some money for the day. And they're preaching the resurrection of the dead, so it goes against everything the Sadducees believe. On top of that pile, the pinnacle of the heap is the threatening of political power. Jesus could not be allowed to take the power from these men. Side note. Always, in every life and in every area of life, this is always the issue. Will we submit to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in our lives? This is always the question. Because if Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, what that means is that we owe him our lives. That he has all authority and all power in my life. And the only response I can have to sovereign authority is submission to that authority. It's always the question. In fact, it's not only the question in governing authorities today. It's the the question in every human heart. Will we give Our life will we submit and surrender to the reign of Jesus Christ. But the takeaway from the story is not what the government did, the actions of the government of the day. The takeaway from the story is the response of the church to the actions of the government. Preaching, praying, preaching some more, praying some more. Continuing to preach the name of Jesus and then praying some more. Well, why? Why is it that the church continued preaching and continued praying? Well, I think that this is the point and this is at the heart of the characteristic of who we're to be as God's church. It's exactly who we are to be. What is this driving characteristic that leads to unrelenting preaching and praying that it cannot be silenced, that cannot ultimately be stopped? Well, if you're reading along in this story, you'll start to pick it up if you're if you're just reading carefully. So notice in verse four, it seems like initially if you're reading in in chapter four, verse four, it seems like initially there's this weird interruption. Notice in verse four. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about five thousand. It's interesting. It seems like why would Luke like mention that in the middle of the story? And it happens not just there. It happens in verse 22. Same kind of thing for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He keeps going back to this story. See, if you're careful and you read this as one story, here's what you'll discover. That the actions of the church in healing the man was not the interruption to the trial, but just the opposite. The actions of the government actually became the interruption to the story. And as if to say, as if to say to us, the church could not be silenced no matter what action was taken. 
no matter the interruption, no matter what was done, the church and the gospel could not ultimately be silenced. So you start to get the flavor of it there in verse four. But then Peter and John just simply refused to back down initially before the council. The council warns them they continue to preach. They say, I've got to obey Jesus. Then in verse 13, it tells us Luke tells us exactly why. Here's the characteristic. And we're going to see this over and over in the passage, both lived out and explicitly named. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness, boldness, Peter and John perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. The boldness, the willingness to rise up and say something. Notice it again in verse 29. Same picture. Luke points out this characteristic again in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Narrator's comments at the beginning, they saw their boldness. Now the church is actually praying for boldness. And then verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. What was demonstrated in the story and described and now prescribed for the church is actually the way we're to live with the same kind of boldness. Let me say it to you in this way. The church must confront the world with the truth of the gospel with supernatural boldness. The church must confront the world with the truth of the gospel with supernatural boldness. We, we don't have news that is kind of, but maybe not really that big of a deal that's something we're celebrating. We don't have news that something that, that maybe to a few people on the earth find interesting and helpful, but to most people on the planet, it's not that big of a deal. We have a message that matters to everyone on the planet and not just matters. It is a matter of life and death. It is eternally significant and we cannot approach that message with just simple pandering. We have to proclaim that message with power and with boldness, supernaturally empowered by God's spirit. It's the call upon our lives. This boldness is not one that is natural. It's not one that's at all natural. It's placed in us. It's a boldness that cannot be contained. Therefore, let me just emphasize that it's a boldness that cannot be contained. And so the boldness of the church is something that is God created, has kind of a couple of ideas with it. It's a it's a, a, a willingness or an attitude to do what's necessary, even when it means that there's great risk or danger involved. And sometimes following Jesus, there is risk involved, but this is a willingness. It's the attitude behind the action of a willingness to do whatever is required, whatever is necessary to take that action, even in the face of risk. And generally, 
It's used not just about doing something, but speaking something. So being willing to speak at a moment that requires honesty, straightforwardness, getting to the point, courage, fearlessness. So we see that sense of the word right here in the passage that they were praying for boldness in order to continue to speak his word, to continue to speak his word. And they were filled with all boldness and the place was shaken. Risky. The day may come for us as American Christians, and it may come quickly for us to respond to the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and respond to our culture with boldness. The risk may continue to grow. The danger may get more dangerous. Particularly in our day, this is an important, relevant message. Even this week, as you think about all of the actions that have been taken this week, and of course, over the course of the last eight to ten weeks, when it comes to the coronavirus and all of the actions that have been taken regarding churches and how they worship. Now, I rejoice. I praise God. Just publicly, I praise God for our governor who has taken a great stand when it comes to our churches here in this state. But not all governors across the United States have done the same thing. And there have been great, great actions taken that are against the church. Even in Florida, one of our counties, a pastor arrested. We all know the story. For holding church and there's many different variables and many different things that we could talk about there. But the reality is this is a relevant topic for us today. Along with that, you might say, well, yeah, yesterday or day before yesterday, President Trump issued an executive order declaring that all churches are essential services. We are essential. And I would say, yes, President Trump, we are essential because God has called us. And by the way, no government mandate can add to that or take away from that. God has already declared that to be so. The reality is that's not going to change the actions taken around our country at various states and in various counties. And the question is, how should the church respond? Memorial Day is, of course, a great time for us to think about this. So we think about the freedom that we have, right? People have given their lives. Men and women have given their lives for the sake of our spiritual freedom, among other freedoms. We're thankful to those men and women, and we honor that today. And yet that freedom is certainly under attack in our nation. And we have to ask the question. We would be fools if we didn't ask the question, how do we respond well, this passage is, of course, a response to the government as if Peter and John, it's it would be as if they're standing before the Supreme Court of the United States and they are preaching the gospel and God willing, may that happen in our nation and may the gospel go forth to every single home. But there is instruction here in how we respond to a government persecution or for that matter, any other resistance and risk to our spiritual freedom to ultimately to the message that we've been called to proclaim. And so we cannot, as I wrestled with this passage and thought about its relevance for us, we cannot take this text all in one week. So we've got to look at these three different Pieces of this passage 
and what it looks like for us to be bold in our faith, to be spiritually, supernaturally bold. What does that look like? Well, number one, as we look at today, it means that we are bold in our message, bold in our message. If we are going to have supernatural boldness in our lives, the very first thing that Peter wants or that Luke wants us to see as he writes this passage and that Peter is demonstrating for the church as he leads them is a boldness in our message to open up our mouths and proclaim the gospel. Peter and John are arrested for preaching Jesus. And so what did they do as a result? They continued to preach Jesus to those who arrested them for preaching Jesus. Because no government ruling, no cultural action, no change in society, no matter how many years pass, can change the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the same yesterday, today and forever, just as much as Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he is worthy of being proclaimed on every place of the planet because he is the only way of salvation. And he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so as they were Preaching, they keep preaching the same message because it's a message that must be heard. Interestingly, again, this would be like preaching the gospel before the United States Supreme Court. And I would argue that it needs to be preached there. Be like preaching the gospel in the halls of Congress and it needs to be preached there. The gospel needs to be preached in in the White House and in all of our houses. The gospel must be preached. And I want you to hear me say this morning to the church that we are, listen to me. We are far too PC when it comes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have become soft. We have become cowardly. And it is time for the church to rise up and preach the gospel clearly and boldly once again. It is not our place to make the gospel more palatable. The message is that God is creator and God is holy and he deserves our praise. He has created us for worship and we as his creation looked at him in the face and said, we don't want you, we want us. We turned away from him, we rebelled against him and the Bible teaches that we are all sinners separated from God as a result. That the penalty of our sin is a death in a place called hell, an eternal spiritual death and every single person by nature and by choice is headed toward that destiny unless something changes in our lives. And the only hope is that the God of heaven would send his one and only son to live the life that we could never live. A life of perfect righteousness to die the death that we deserved to die on a cross, a sinner's death and to be buried in the ground and be raised to life so that he might conquer death and so that he might conquer our sin. So that in Christ, anyone who repented of their sins and believed the gospel, anyone who trusted in Christ will be justified, will be set free. Our sins will be forgiven, will be born again and changed and we will be sealed forever to be with God forever because of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And that's what must be heard. And so it is a message that requires boldness. What does this message do? Well, we see here in the passage, the message 
doing some things in the Sanhedrin. And we need to be very clear about what the boldness of our message looks like. Because number one, it is a message that confronts the error of the culture. It is a message that confronts the error of the culture. Verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The very thing. The very issue theologically that the Sadducees had with the word of God. Peter and John proclaim that. (laughs) I mean, Peter and John, you could have started with marriage. You could have started with parenting. You could have started with anything else, right? Something that's easier to take and eventually we'll move on. It's not what they did. It's because the gospel of Christ is confrontational. It meets us right at the point of our error. And unless we repent, we will be forever condemned. It meets us at the error. And the errors of our culture are many. Are they not, church? The errors are many. Many of us finding ourselves in the same place in our previous life before we came to faith in Christ in complete error. And the gospel meets us there. Let me just name a few of them for you. Atheism. The belief that there is no God cannot coexist with the gospel because the gospel proclaims that the God of heaven exists and that he saves. Naturalism. The fact that everything is or the belief that everything is just natural. There is no supernatural. Much like the, the, the Sadducees of the day, the reality is it's it's an error because God exists. Deism. The belief that God has just put the planet into motion and it kind of sits back and never interacts with his universe. But in fact, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He is God incarnate. Postmodernism, the belief that all of society is just kind of relative, like we bend and shape and mold. And and especially when it comes to morality, that we do what we need to do in the moment, just whatever the situation deserves. That truth is not really knowable, that you can't discover truth on your own, that at the end of the day, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and it's relative. But of course, this is inaccurate because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands." You see, the gospel cannot coexist. It doesn't coexist with humanism. It doesn't coexist with legalism. There is no other ism that the gospel coexists with. Maybe more generally, even than that. The gospel cannot coexist with our sin. It's not silent on these issues. The gospel confronts our error, does not leave us in our error. We either will choose to receive and believe our error or we will believe the truth. Secondly, it is a message that transforms the lives of sinners. They could not deny it. Verse four says, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about five thousand. It's an amazing picture as they're looking at all that's happening. Peter and John are preaching Jesus. I don't like it, but I can't ignore it. 
I don't like it, but I can't, I, I can't ignore the fact that these people's lives are being absolutely changed, including a beggar. Who had been a beggar all of his life and lame all of his life. And, and I don't have an answer for that. Listen, there is no fleshly, worldly answer when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ and their world has been entirely changed. The only answer that is in that is God did that. Yes, I was a sinner, but God saved me and he's changed me. And when lives are changed, you cannot ignore that. You cannot invalidate that. I mean, think about it all throughout the book of Acts. You can't argue with changed lives or maybe even back up just a little bit. Matthew, Matthew and this tax collector, this one who is who is hated by his culture, leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. Paul, the one who killed the church, who killed people, killed Christians, persecuting Christians. Stephen martyred him, had his clothes in his hands. And yet Paul, his life has changed and he became one of the world's greatest missionaries. The Ethiopian, you remember the story. Gentile coming to faith in Christ. The jailer, do you remember that story? The whole place shaken, Paul and Silas there. It's an amazing, amazing reality when lives are changed. By the way, political messages don't change lives. Cultural messages don't change lives. Social messages don't change lives. How many of you ever had your life changed by a meme on Facebook? Right? If you love Jesus, comment and don't keep scrolling. Right? We look at that in the reality of, of this picture that we, we, our lives aren't changed by social messaging, social net, uh, media networks. Our lives can only be changed by Jesus Christ. Fourth, it is a message that declares the authority of Christ. A message that declares the authority of Christ. Notice verse seven with me. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? So what are they asking? They're asking these men on whose authority, what permission did you get to be preaching in our synagogue? Let me just poke the bear a little bit just to lead us into next week. What permission did you have to have church this past Sunday? What permission did you have to preach the gospel to people openly out in the community? What permission did you have to speak about this Jesus? And I love the answer. By the way, it's a very revealing question because that's the heart of the matter for these men is the authority issue, as it always is. Verse eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, I calls them rulers, (laughs) rulers of the people and elders. If we're being examined as if they have the right to examine them for what they've done in the name of Christ. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. By what means this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him. This man is standing before you well. 
You want to know what authority? We have the authority of Jesus Christ, who said all authority has been given to him under heaven, uh, uh, on earth, under heaven, all all authority given to Jesus. Now he says, go make disciples. That's the authority. Listen, Christian, that's the authority on your life telling you, commanding you, go make disciples. We don't have a choice. The message demonstrates who's in charge, not only of our lives, but of the planet. What kind of authority? Well, authority over all of their authorities. He calls them rulers, people, uh, rulers of the people, elders. Jesus' authority over sin. He said, whom you've crucified. But we know later on in the passage that God is the one who ultimately laid that plan out before the foundation of the world. His authority over death. God raised him from the dead and his authority in salvation. By him, this man is standing before you well. And by the way, we know that that's both physically and spiritually based on the context of the passage. So on whose authority? On Jesus' authority. This is one of the reasons that no other worldview can coexist with the gospel. Because Jesus has all authority on truth. This Jesus, the stone was, in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that you rejected We, by nature, reject his authority. But to reject the authority of Jesus is to declare yourself to be his enemy. He's either Lord or he's nothing at all. Any salvation that ignores the commands of Christ is no salvation at all. Because it fails to submit to his lordship. And so we see the authority of Christ in the message, finally. It is a message that defends the exclusivity of salvation. A message that defends the exclusivity of salvation. What does that mean? Verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is not a popular message in contemporary modern America. Absolutely not a popular message. Because we are a people and a culture of tolerance. We are a people and a culture where we we don't want to step on toes. Everything must be politically correct. By the way, everything except for Christianity. Let's be real honest about that in this moment. Everything must be politically correct. And here's the reality. If you proclaim Jesus, it is Jesus plus nothing. Nothing can stand when Jesus is Savior. You must be saved. And the absolute only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. It will not be through your works. It will not be through Islam. It will not be through Judaism. It will not be through the American dream. It will not be through your family heritage. It will not be through your church or through your your family, your grandparents. It will not be any of those things. Yes, every single one of us is sinners and every single one of us needs to be saved. And the only way any of us can be saved is through Jesus Christ. It's the only hope we have. No other name given. And notice the word given. It is God who has given Christ. Verse 10. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
this is the name given above every other name, that at the name of Jesus we might be saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. This is the gospel. This is the message. And we must be bold in this message. So I would charge you with two things today in lieu of what we have heard. I believe what God would call us to this morning. And that would be that we would stop pandering about things that don't matter very much. And that we would be faithful to proclaim the only message that matters at all. The message of Jesus Christ. The gospel. Let's be the church. And let's proclaim this message. If if it means that every single one of you has got to start a Facebook Live every week so that you can tell someone about Jesus. I, I, just, I don't know what it looks like in your life. A neighbor, a coworker, a family member, we have to be faithful to this message and bold with it because it matters. It's life and death. It's eternal life in one message given to the church. And God's intent is for us to take it. Secondly, Not only should we speak this message. If you're listening today and you don't know Christ, we would be amiss if we did not boldly tell you that you must repent and believe the gospel. There is no hope of salvation apart from trusting in Jesus Christ. Believe this message today. Believe this book. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is the only hope of salvation. That He died for you. That He rose again. That He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And that if you would cry out to Him today and and plead with God as a sinner to have mercy upon you, that God will save your soul, He will forgive your sin, and He will set you free for all of eternity. This is the hope of the gospel. Can I ask you to bow your heads all across the room and online? Wherever you are, wherever you're seated, maybe just turn and kneel there at your couch, wherever you're at. This is an opportunity for you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or to be more committed to the message of the gospel. And we want to call you to that today, wherever you are. That you would, that you would trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just a few moments, I'm going to pray and I would just encourage you to use that time in a few moments to cry out to the Lord. Others of you need to recommit your life to this gospel purpose, to boldness. Some of you are under persecution right now. There is risk if you do this. And you need to pray like the church did at the end of this this story that we'll come to in a couple of weeks. You need to pray for boldness, that you might speak the word of God. Some of you are just under pressure of of peer pressure. And and there's brothers and sisters all across the, the world that are at the risk of their lives today proclaiming this message. Would you be faithful? Would you be bold? Would you preach as if as if the end is tomorrow and Jesus is our only hope? Would you do that? Sinner, would you cry out to the Lord to save you today? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just simply going to pray. And you use this time to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible just calls you to repent and believe the gospel. Save the Lord. Maybe, God, I'm a sinner and I I need your forgiveness. I need to be saved. Will you forgive me? I I believe in Jesus. I trust his death for me, his, his resurrection. I trust all of that. And today I want to be saved. Would you save me? And the Bible says that he will. 
So I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a time of response. And here's what I'd like to ask for you to do. There is a link on the comments. That link is mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. Those of you in the room, that link is there for you to use as well. Mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. This altar is going to be open in a few moments. I want to encourage you to come and pray if you'd like to use that time that's available to you. We're going to have some music that's playing. Uh, if we just respect those who are here at this altar who are making decisions and those who are online, we'd love for you to reach out to us. Fill out that link and we'd love to help you in your decision in following Jesus. But today is the day to follow him with your life. Lord, we pray. Right now in this moment, this time of invitation, God, that you would be honored in our lives, that we would be obedient and that you would stir us with a supernatural boldness for the sake of your gospel. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You guys can remain seated. The altar's open. We've got some music that's going to be playing. And then after a season, we'll dismiss today and as we honor the Lord with our decision. Jesus, we do believe that you're all to us. God, we thank you that you gave everything for us by giving the life of your only son. I pray that you would make us bold with this message, even as we come to a close in this gathering today, because you are worthy of the gospel to every person on the planet. And we pray, God, that you would use us toward that end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a fantastic Sunday afternoon. We'll see you just shortly for our time of prayer at 12 o'clock. God bless you. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.